Welcome to Season 4 of the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. Starring El Gran Tommy Martinez. And featuring Adam Tate. Brought to you by Data Coba Promotions. Promotions Studio One and featuring Data Cobo Promotions Studio Equipment. And now, buckle up for the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. Yes! Welcome and welcome to the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast, season number four, episode number six. I am your host, Tommy Martinez, and I'm here to give you the best podcast that you've ever heard in your life, because this is where it's at, the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. As a matter of fact, it'd be even better if my main man and the humblest guy that I know on planet Earth were here, Mr. Adam Tate, but he's still gone. But no worries, he'll be back pretty soon. And when I say soon, I have no idea when. Nonetheless, I'm ready to deliver yet another great episode available on Spotify, Apple Podcast app, RSS Podcast, and many other of your favorite digital platforms out there. I like saying that it's available on Spotify and Apple Podcast app, number one, because Apple Podcast app, it took me about two years to actually say that correctly, and I really didn't know what it was, and then my son Jeremy ended explaining it to me. So both Spotify and the Apple Podcast app are abundantly used amongst many of the uh, DSP listeners out there. So that gives this podcast some credibility when uh, I tell people, say, yeah, sure, I have a podcast. Go ahead and take a listen. It's called, you know, the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. And then where can I find it? I said, well, you can find it on Spotify and on Apple Podcast app. And they're like immediately impressed. Like, wow, Spotify. Wow, Apple Podcast app. (laughs) I think the other 250,000 podcasts that are out there are also available (laughs) on those two platforms. The reason I said all these boastful things about this podcast, we started this podcast back in October the 9th, October the 14th of 2019, and we're currently in the year 2023. So officially, yeah, we've seen four calendar years for this particular project within this uh, world that I created under the umbrella of Datecoa Promotions. Datecoa Promotions is something I created back in the early 90s. So how does the actual name Datecoa come about? Datecoa, the actual word, it is a local colloquial jargon, a colloquial word, a colloquial phrase from Puerto Rico, which is where I'm from. It's nothing other than to be braggadocious. It's to be boastful. It's to be very show-offish, which in that context has a negative connotation to it. The way I spell Datecoa is the incorrect way of doing it. That's just for starters. So you know immediately it's shtick. D-A-T-E-C-O-B-A. That's just something that I made up, which comes from two words in Spanish. One is dar. The other one is cova. Dar is to give. Cova is to praise in an exaggerative manner. 
that would be the positive connotation to it because it's cool to recognize other people, to give them that praise. And it's not cool to give yourself praise, to be pretentious. So that's, or that's going to generate a lot of hate. That's why everything that I did kind of artistically, be it videoing, photography, I wrote plays, I did all these things kind of as an outlet just to get whatever I had inside of me out. I would label it immediately something from Datekoa Promotions. I was self-promoting. I was doing what my rock and roll heroes kiss do. They self-promote. And it was done in shtick. It was done as a joke because I knew that somebody was going to hate on it. Somebody was going to tell me, you know, and, and, and the majority of them obviously are, are my uh, are my family and my friends are going, oh, man, you're just giving yourself praise. You're dando tecoba. You're giving yourself recognition. That's what they would tell me when I was visiting back home and they would have seen these videos and pictures and all these other things that we have been doing. And that's how it just came about because I got in the videotapes itself. I would write that these were coming from Datekova promotions. <laughs> It was just a joke. That joke continued on and on to this day where we're able to use the Internet to put out, you know, other ways of expression being, i.e. this podcast. So there, that's the uh, origins of Datekoa promotions. And along the way, I've been able to recruit other people who don't care much for their reputation, such as my brother, Adam Tate. Adam, when you listen to this, my friend, FYI. Your seat is begging your presence. That seat across from me over there in Datekoa Promotion Studios 1. <laughs> okay, let me go back to my notes here. I became caught up on uh, the Datekoa Promotion's origin story. and So, I have a note here that says that J.R.R. Tolkien was born on January the 3rd of 1892. That's a shitload of years ago still. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that I reference a lot of his work being The Hobbit and The Lord of the Ring and anything that's from the world of Middle Earth. I love it. So, yeah, absolutely. This is a birthday that I would celebrate because I really, really, really do love his work. Also, like I mentioned before, it's a brand new calendar year. So happy new year. If I haven't said that previously after yakking all this time. Christmas is over, New Year's is over, Three Kings, which was yesterday. As we celebrate here, my wife keeps that tradition alive here in our home. And so begins the new tax season for those of us who pay taxes. It's inevitable. How about if I stop bullshitting around to continue the bullshit of this thing we dare call the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. Good morning. Today is January the 7th of 2023. And today's National Tempura Day. And that little ditty is a song by a YouTube user called Nippon. And he's probably called Nippon because of the Japanese city. And also, uh, the title of that song is called Japanglish Song. <laughs> I guess he's trying to give us a little lesson on how to go about uh, dominating the Japanese language. And the National Day is brought to you from the pages of thenationaldaycalendar.com. Tempura. Nice. I like tempura. I like that Japanese batter that so many delicious things are dipped into and then deep fried. Who doesn't like deep fried? Whew, especially uh, after the madness of the culinary Christmas eating season. 
Let's just keep it going. What the hell? Health? Yeah. Health smell. Let's just keep frying things, especially anything that's yummy. You can dip in this batter. Plus, tempura is coming from Japan. And we all know Japan has given us many cool things. Uh, the QR code, selfie stick, emojis. That's just recent. They've also given us the rice cookers. Let me see. Sushi, for those who like that. We all know they've given us Godzilla, Gosilo's cousin. Mm, what else? Uh, samurais. Th those are great stories. Manga comic books. And the list goes on and on. Toyotas. I drive one. I just remember this really cool story involving the Japanese and me. But I'll share it if I remember it towards the end of this uh, segment because it's time to continue with this tempura stuff, which it says here that it is typically a Japanese dish, usually consisting of seafood, meat, and vegetables that have been battered and deep fried. Yum. The dish was introduced to Portuguese explorers that had been to Nagasaki. They take this technique of frying food in this batter back to Europe and that's where the fritter cooking techniques start to get developed in the 16th century. Let's fast forward to modern times. Tempura batter or tempura mix can be found in any supermarket nowadays. It's that popular. If you're one of those people that don't want to buy the mix and want to do it yourself, it's a pretty simple batter to make. It's made with iced water, eggs, pastry, cake, or all-purpose flour. And baking soda. Baking soda is the key to make this batter light. It's not like when you fry up, uh, let's say, a corn dog or a Snickers and things that you'll find in the fair that are just made with the regular kind of either corn batter or a flour batter. The baking soda is key to tempura itself. It's what makes it light. It's what makes it fluffy. Here's the catch. So if you want to go full-blown authentic Japanese, you have to mix all those ingredients with chopsticks, but only for a few seconds because you have to leave lumps in the mixture. Along with the cold batter temperature results is that uniquely fluffy, crisp tempura structure when fried. You know what I'm talking about. That kind of flaky reaching out to you portions of that tempura that just say, Put me in your mouth right now. I want you to eat me. <laughs> I'm getting hungry. Now you're asking yourself, how do you observe National Tempura Day? Well, it's going to be very simple. I'm going to lay out all these ingredients. I had mentioned to include the cold water. Then I'm going to whip out the good old chopsticks. And yes, I'm going to play this song, go full-blown Japanese, make some tempura. And as I'm making the tempura, guess what? I'm going to hashtag it. National Tempura Day. <laughs> That's the way I'm going to do it. I may not dip anything in the batter. Definitely no vegetables, probably chicken. Maybe a breakfast sausage since it's so early. But I'm sure I'll figure it out when I get to that point. It's also National Bobblehead Day. Please, please don't get any idea and try to deep fry and tempura a bobblehead. Especially those of you who've been drinking last night or smoking some of that cannabis. You know who you are. Tanya and Adam's hard to name podcast today in 
This is the Jimi Hendrix Experience and Hey Joe Live. Today in Rock History, brought to you from the pages of History.com, TodayInMusic.com, SongFactsHistory.com, and ClassicBands.com. Nice live recording of Hendrix and the Jimi Hendrix experience. 1969, December the 29th, 1969. Man, I could just listen to that song. Just chilling. Mm. The Jimi Hendrix Experience made their debut on UK TV on the show Top of the Pops performing Hey Joe. Now, why is that significant in history? Because Top of the Pops was a very significant show to put your music out there. That's how you promoted your music. That's how you got it out to the masses. You would go to these shows like the Top of the Pops. You would go to American Bandstand. All these other shows, uh, R&B had, Soul Train, Radio Airplay. But on TV, this was a chance for the crowd to actually put a face to the song that they were listening to on the radio. Nowadays, you have SoundCloud, other platforms. You have Facebook. You have uh, YouTube. Spotify, all these other uh, ways to actually promote. And that's the way it's being done nowadays to make your music popular. Back then, the artists that actually played instruments, that actually sang, had no tools, had no pro tools to do the recording, had nothing out there other than their instruments and their talents to promote. So Top of the Pops was a vehicle towards this promotional uh, touring of your material of your records. This program ran from 1 January of 1964 to 30 July of 2006. When it was produced by the BBC uh, and a lot of those programs would come out to the States and usually they would be broadcasted on public uh, television. Sometimes excerpts of it were, were bought and uh, played off to uh, other radio stations. Uh, some of the things with Top of the Pops is that some of the artists, as it became more popular, were forced to lip sync their songs to fit into the format of the program so it wouldn't go over or under because time is very important on TV. Matter of fact, time is very important on TV and radio. It's not like the internet where you have no time constrictions unless you want to place them yourself where let's say in this format, the podcast format, where Adam and me can explore more, can speak more, can entertain more uh, on the Tommy and Adam Hart to name podcast available on Spotify and Apple Podcast app or other podcasts that uh, don't entertain you as ours does. Now, going back to the BBC and shows and promotional uh, things of that nature back in the 60s, why Europe? Why were our artists going to Europe to promote first? And they still do it to this day, as a matter of fact, because Europe was a hotbed for loving American music, especially the music from the 50s. So you had all these groups that grew up listening to this music, and you've heard them before, the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, Led Zeppelin, that had grown up listening to American rock and roll, American popular music, American, i.e., 
African-American-based groups, Little Richards, Fats Domino's, Chuck Berry, the list goes on and on. And all of a sudden you have this incredibly talented Jimi Hendrix come and they finally see somebody playing an updated version of American rock and roll bluesy style of music that so happens to be black. Keep in mind, you always have to put into context the times. You have to put that this was the 60s and America was going through the civil rights movement. There was all kinds of discrimination against uh, black artists, actually prejudices against rock and roll in general. So you can imagine all of a sudden here comes these black artists and they're in their faces of this new generation. And the old fashioned status quo is having uh, shit fits over what their kids are listening to. So our artists, not only just Jimi Hendrix, but many others had to go to Europe, establish themselves there first, and shows like the Top of the Pops and other shows on the BBC and all throughout Europe were the catapults, were the vehicles that our music here in the States, our artists were putting out in Europe and launched them into uh, superstardom. And in closing with this initial piece of this day in rock history is that the Top of the Pops was one of the shows that featured the top 20, better said, the top 20 singles that were being played, that were being heard. So it's very influential on the crowd of that day. Think about it. You're a teenager. You want to know what's going on? Hell, turn on the top of the pops. Settle down, class. It's this week's rockin' higher education lesson on Led Zeppelin 101 with Professor Adam Lee Tate. wonder if uh, the Rock and Roll University can give me some kind of credentials for sitting in for Professor Adam Lee Tate. That's something I'll have to look into. In the meantime, I'm still the substitute professor. Shall we? You did cool it. Baby, I'm not fooling. I'm Take you back to school and way down inside, honey. You need. I'm gonna give you my love. I'm gonna give you my love. I want a whole lot of love. I said a whole lot of love. I want a whole lot of love. Yes, I want a lot of love. I needed a crash symbol there at the end. <laughs> I think that's the only uh, higher education lesson on Zeppelin 101 that you need. <laughs> Adam, hurry back, buddy. We think we're losing students here. Uh, uh. 
When inspiration comes, inspiration comes. I can't help it. <laughs> I think I've been watching too much of this uh, podcast from Puerto Rico. It's called Calzoncillo Music Nights. It's uh, Underwear's Music Nights, and it's two guys that improvise their own songs. But this is not the same thing. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea where that came from. But let's keep on keeping on. Without Peter Corey on it, go back all along And that's Three Dog Nights. Mama told you not to come. Very cool song. Yeah, that ain't no way to have fun. Okay, let me get my bearings here. 1972, January the 31st of 1972. Dick Clark begins the new holiday tradition as his first New Year's Rockin' Eve concert is broadcasted on NBC. Guests included these guys right here, uh, Three Dog Night and Al Green. But here's a very cool fact about this. Back in 1972, Dick Clark was not the main host. It was actually this group right here, Three Dog Night, who were the host that evening for the uh, Dick Clark's uh, Rockin' New York's Eve. A little bit of history of something that's so iconic within our New Year's Eve celebration, which was just this past week, as you may have counted down the New Year's in your living room, in your home, wherever it may have been. We were fortunate enough to be invited over to my uh, daughter's in-laws. We had a good time out there. And we did actually watch a little bit of that. They watched football and all that as well. I didn't watch much of that. But, yeah, we watched that. We watched the Univision one. So it's kind of a custom here in America to do that. So there's a little bit of history on that. Uh-oh. What do we have here? This is Mr. Eddie Murphy and party all the time. Wow, Eddie Murphy and his only top 40 hit. I remember this. December the 28th of 1985, in the midst of almost the start or the heyday of hair metal, Eddie Murphy's Party All the Time goes number two on the U.S. top charts, held back only by the success of Lionel Richie's record, Say You, Say Me. This song, which is probably why I brought this up and added it onto this uh, piece of the podcast, is because this song was written and produced by Rick James, Mr. Rick James. And here's something you may not know. This song charted higher than any of Rick James' super well-known hits, such as my personal favorite, Super Freak. (laughs) I'm still thinking about that Led Zeppelin mess that I did. I'm probably going to regret it when I hear the playback. And that is the heavy metal monk hailing out of Milan, Italy. Andai al forum, c'erano i Metallica, sentì l'energia che viene sprigionata da questo tipo di musica, mi innamorai del metallo. 
There is his interview where he's saying he was inspired by Metallica after he heard the music and the energy and all that great stuff that comes out of heavy metal. Now, this is an actual Capuchin monk. His name is Brother Bonizzi, and he's the lead singer of the Italian heavy metal band Fratello Metallo, the Brothers of Metal. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that you find on the internet. You can look it up yourself. It is called the Heavy Metal Monk. Uh, back in uh, January the 6th of 1999, two bronze busts worth about $75,000 were stolen from the garden of George Harrison's estate in Henleon Thames in Uckshire, England. The thieves climbed the 10-foot wall, cut out the figures of two monks from their stone plits. Why would you do that to George Harrison? Why? George Harrison in life seemed to be one of the coolest guys ever. I mean, he was, I don't think there's ever anything bad that is said about George Harrison. He doesn't seem to be an asshole like many of the other guys that you hear about that are complete dicks in rock and roll. I just don't get it. Yeah, and these are the Meat Puppets Live, Lake of Fire. You're probably familiar with the Nirvana Unplugged version of this song. The Meat Puppets, you don't hear much about them. They were early 90s. A lot of it has to do with them being mentioned by Nirvana because they inspired uh, bands such as Nirvana, I want to say Soul Asylum. They're kind of, uh, you know, one of those obscure bands, uh, like we've mentioned here before, Mother Love Bone, Black Flag, uh, the New York Dolls, bands that just inspire other bands and takes them to the next level. And I'll put... The Meat Puppets in that category. They were hard rock. They were a pretty good band. I've seen a few of their videos just researching this piece right here. Not bad at all. I love that song, Lake of Fire. Uh, it's the unplugged version. This one's a little bit better, if you ask me. Uh, check it out on your own. You be the judge. Now, back on uh, December the 30th of 2003, Chris Kirkwood of the Meat Puppets was arrested and accused of hitting a federal post office security guard in the head with a baton. That the musician took away from the guard during a struggle. And the reason he was intervened was he was fighting over a parking space with another customer. He was shot in the back. The good news here, he wasn't killed, but he was sent to prison, I think, a couple of years. Then after that, he went ahead and was released. While in prison, though, he got to meet with the former drummer of Steppenwolf, who so happened to be in the same federal prison. Anyway, they hooked up, they were able to play, they, they made some kind of a jazz band. So he said the time in prison wasn't that bad. Well, you know, good for this guy. The real question is, why the hell would you go screwing around with anybody in the post office during this time of the year? It has to be the craziest time for these guys. They're just wrapping up the insane package delivery time of the year. I wonder what my buddy Adam would have had to say about that. Hmm. This weekend, oh yeah, 
performing our national anthem. And I think it's really important to point out that Gene Simmons really isn't the greatest singer of all time, and everybody knows that. He's a great performer, he's a great showman, but he's not the best singer. He's not stupid either, so what does he do? He recruits this Air Force Quartet out of Travis Air Force Base to sing along with him. That's the way to do it. Instead of going in there and assassinating it, like many other artists have done, he goes in there and does it the correct way. According to my opinion. Now, why did I bring this up? Because back on December the 31st of 1999, after a performance by Kiss during the pregame ceremony, Cher sang the national anthem at Super Bowl XXX, III, I think that's 33, and Stevie Wonder provided halftime entertainment. Hmm. Why didn't just Kiss do the whole thing, damn it? That's kind of disrespectful there. They know how to do the national anthem. They also are great performers. So why the hell would you, you know, put Kiss to open for these guys? You ask me, that's kind of disrespectful. And there's the reason why I don't watch football. The NFL needs to get with it. Also this past week, Gene Simmons was again in the news. He was rattling off. He was pissed of why Rolling Stones magazine didn't include Ozzy Osbourne amongst one of the greatest singers of all time in some bullshit list that they published this week. Good for you, Gene. That's exactly right. But again, it is Rolling Stones magazine. Another thing that was pretty cool in the news this week, KISS-related, according to the Riverfront Times out of the uh, St. Louis, Missouri area, a Weldon Springs man selling badass Kiss costume and other collectibles for the low price of just $600. You, too, can style yourself like the Spaceman. Now, to make a long story short, there's the seller from the St. Louis area, and he's selling a lot of his uh, Kiss memorabilia. He's been a collector since he's seven. He has all this stuff to include this Spaceman suit, which he's selling for 600 bucks. His name is Kerry O'Brien. I actually did go on Facebook Marketplace as a five-star rating, so maybe that has some credibility to what he's selling. So if you're a fan of Kiss and you're looking for something, maybe you want to go to your mother-in-law's birthday party dressed up as a spaceman. Well, guess what? There's some options out there for you. That's Motorhead and their version of Heroes.
Motorhead. I need to check my cables. I may have to spend some money this year and get new ones. That's coming out just a tad bit staticky. But that is Motorhead. Since this is a podcast that celebrates, we also commemorate. Back in December 26th of 2015, Lemmy, lead vocalist and bassist with Motorhead, died at his home in Los Angeles, California, four days after his 70th birthday, following a short battle with an extremely aggressive cancer. El Señor Lemmy Killmeister needs no introduction, needs no describing on this podcast. Adam's a big fan. I'm an okay fan. But we all know that Lemmy has a huge legacy in the contribution of heavy metal and hard rock in general. He is very influential on many artists, on many generations. So when he passed away, it was really heartfelt. And one of the things that usually occurs when you mention deaths, such as Lemmy's through cancer, him being such a big, huge public figure in rock and roll, it is used to remind men and women to go and check themselves out, go to the doctor, make sure that their plumbing and their internal works, the exterior is looking good, maybe not uh, as well as you thought it was. And here's a chance for you to maybe get it looked at now where it has some remedy. We all know that Remy was a rock and roll rebel. I don't know if he went to the doctor or not. I, you know, again, that's not what I'm here to say. I'm just saying that if you have a chance, definitely rock and rollers ready to hit their 50s or some of them getting ready to hit their 60s like me. Go out there, check yourself out. You know, I say, hey, doc, what's going on, partner? Maybe go out there, see the beautiful little nurse that he may have there. I don't know, but do it. You have a responsibility to teach your grandchildren about heavy metal and rock and roll. Who the hell's going to do it if you're not around to do it? Nah, bro, you, you see me, bro? I'm hard, bro. I'm hard, bro. I'm hard, bro. I'm hard, bro. Yeah. Let's get started. It's the Tommy and Adam Pod to Name Podcast. Historic hip hop rapizzle moment. Yo. Freshman 15, oh, she's a getting thicker all the way around. Girl knows how to eat. She eats my chocolate. Nah, I ain't saying she's a lot thicker. Whenever I leave, like, the way she eats is she thicker. She eats my chocolate. I ain't saying she's a lot thicker. Whenever I leave, like, I the way she eats is thicker. Knows how to eat. Calm down, girl, go ahead. That is Iqbal Ibrahim, the gold digger parody. Wow. Go ahead, girl. Chow down. Chow down. (laughs) These kids, man. They got some really talented people. I think I'm going to learn how to rap. That way, when I'm producing my own beats, I can go ahead and rap over them. Anyway, let's jump right into it. Back on December the 26th of 2021. Dr. Dre's divorce was settled with the rapper producing agreeing to pay his ex-wife, Miss Nicole Plotzker Young, 
$100 million, more than one-fifth of the rap icon's fortune. Eee. Wow. This guy is known for NWA, for solo success, for having records out, having produced them for Snoop Dogg, for Tupac. He's He was part of Death Row Records with the Suge Knight guy. Uh, creator or the person who came up with the concept for the Beats headphones. Wow. This guy is really well known. So you can imagine one-fifth of his fortune. Wow. That's a lot. It says here that Young was required to move out of their Malibu beach house by the end of the month, but would keep the Royals Royce, Range Rover, Escalade limousine, and Spider motorcycle, as well as all of her jewelry. Now, personally, I don't think that we, the mere mortals who live on planet Earth, can fathom that kind of wealth or a divorce that has to split that kind of wealth. I think that's the reason why we love reading about it on the tabloids. We love listening to it on Gossip TV. Deep down inside, there's something within us that says, oh, that's really good that that happened. Somebody suffers just like I do. Except that when we get divorced, the mere mortals, that is, it's horrible. You're out there and, you know, some people are left without anything. In my experience throughout the years since I was an HR guy back in the Army, I've read a lot of divorce decrees. And, woo, there's some guys out there that are left drinking water and eating crackers. And that's if they're lucky. So to, to see somebody, to see this kind of a mogul get divorced you really don't feel that bad and if you apply that nicole the ex-wife of dr dre was married with him close to let me see 1996 to okay she was married close to 14 years so she was entitled to whatever it may have been so if there was any kind of prenup or anything like this which i would hope he would have done something like that anyone female or male you know it could have been it could have been way worse so let's go to the Urban Dictionary to see what it says about divorce and the rest of these things. Divorce, something that only an idiot can have more than once. That's so cruel. That kind of implies that don't get married or if you're going to get married, don't get divorced. Oh, man. Another one says divorce when your friends were right. I love the applicability here. It says married guy says, hey, bro, I'm getting a divorce. And his partner says to him, it's about time. I told you she was a bitch. I think it could go the other way around. Married girl says to her friend, you were right. I'm getting a divorce. And her friend says, girl, I told you he was an asshole. Now, the hip hop rapizzle dictionary has a uh, definition here for divorce. that says it is when a man's balls are ripped through his wallet. <laughs> I'll agree with that one. <laughs> Through the legal and court process, <laughs> making it perfectly fine <laughs> to take it away from him. I want to be fair because I'm a fair guy. There's some assholes out there, and I'm talking about dudes, that don't pay up the way, uh, at least when it comes to child support and stuff like that, that don't pay up or don't do their part when it, whenever it comes to their kids and shit like that. I could see where... Some of this shit is necessary, but it takes two to tango. You can't always, uh, let's say, uh, villainize 
one part or the other. You have to understand that there's going to be things in these divorces that the public in general is not going to know. And I'm talking about your neighbors, your friends, your relatives. Anyway, to wrap this up, uh, <laughs> the last uh, definition off of the hip hop rap hizzle dictionary for divorce says a period when a woman's marriage becomes emotionally unstable she becomes a gold digging skeezer with an unearned sense of entitlement and there's that word gold digger usually it's associated to the females but a gold digger could be a dude as well i know this really cool chick that's my friend she got a divorce her husband was a piece of shit didn't do crap she had an excellent job she had two kids with him she had assets uh, she also had a nice asset as well uh, but that's neither here nor there. When she got divorced, man, she was taken to the bank. As a matter of fact, she was recalled back to court for a revision. That's what kind of crap this guy was. Listen, a man that's worthless, shit. He shouldn't get anything if you ask me. That's my opinion. Take it or leave it. Anyway, the last definition, definitely the last definition out of the hip hop rap pizzle dictionary says gold digger. A person. This is kind of messed up, but it says nine times out of ten a female, which, you know, again, you got to look at the statistics, perceived to be having sexual intercourse with a person more affluent than them in order to provide social stability, also known as skanko or vagina viking. Vagina viking. I've never heard that come out of any kind of hip hop jargon, but hey, what the hell? The applicability says, girl number one, girl, he got money. Girl number two says, look like you about to hit him with that magic pussy. <laughs> and get that ring. <laughs> girl number one says, girl, you know it. <laughs> then it hyperlinks you to magical Posay, and it says Posay so enchanting that a man can't think about anything or about any other woman. Men will do anything or say anything to have another taste, <laughs> and are continually drawn back to her, even though they may have broken up. Magical Posay, or MP for short. It's the highest rated pussy a woman can have. Only 1% fit into this category. <laughs> and the applicability says, Lizzie's baby daddy won't leave her alone. A magical pussy holds a spell over him. Oh my God. I really need Adam back. He's missing out on all this hip hop. Education. All right. Let me groove a little bit. Because it's born on this day, rock and roll birthdays. And we all know the guy playing the bass on this great song. It's Mr. Tom Hamilton. He was born December the 31st of 19. 51, he's 71 years old though. He 
Brothers with Aerosmith, who scored a shit ton of uh, hits. Great records like this one right here. It just carries you right through. That's the importance of the rhythm of a song. Mr. Tom Hamilton's been doing it for a long time. And that's Metallica's Creeping Death. <laughs> yeah! You know we can't go too many podcasts without featuring some Metallica. Because born on 26th December of 1963 is Mr. Lars Ulrich. He's 59. Drummer with Metallica. That's enough to be said about that dude. Also born in the past few weeks and years earlier, Mr. Mick Jones from Foreigner. That's a hit making machine also. Mick Jones, guitarist with English-American rock band called Foreigner. He was born December the 27th of 1944. That dude is 78 years old. He's still playing. DJ producer, Grandmaster Flash, born January the 1st of 1958. Producer, DJ, rapper, known for his 1982 single, The Message. I've referenced that here many, many times. This guy was huge in hip-hop, big influence on many hip-hop artists, many up-and-coming DJs on the techniques of mixing, scratching, skills that are unique to hip-hop and hip-hop music, hip-hop culture, b-boy, b-girl, breakdancing, and the rest. Also celebrating a birthday is a dude that we thought was pretty funny a couple years back, Mr. Park Yang Sang, a.k.a. Psy, the guy from Gangnam Style. You know, I was watching... uh. I don't know what show I was watching. It was on New Year's. And I got to see some of that BTO, BTK, whatever the hell that K-pop thing is. They had some group out there. It's like, it's basically an Asian version of the Backstreet Boys and the uh, NSYNC guys. No big deal. I don't know why people are losing their minds over this stuff. Let's get to better things on this podcast. the Tommy and Adam hard to name podcast but influencer showcase you know what you don't see a lot of Asian butt influencers I wonder why that is that's something to ponder in the future in the meantime let's just hit the new Lord of the G-Strings app version 1.69 Pretty, pretty, pretty. 
it's Mark. Because we have here K Karen Caleb, and that is spelled K K A R E N C A L A B. Says here she's from Argentina. And it's way more interesting than that uh, World Cup thing that we had a couple of weeks ago. Let me check this out real quick for you. The webpage for this butt influencer could be found on the description of this podcast. The caption says, enjoying the view. Why is it always? And I've been noticing that a lot on these butt influencers. They're always enjoying some kind of view, except for us, the view is blocked by the butt. Anyway, she tags it with uh, hashtag pool, hashtag summer, hashtag sun. Okay, before we check out the comments, this particular photograph, she's at a pool. She's looking towards uh, what seems to be a bay, maybe a marina. You could see the ocean in the background. You could barely see the boats there. So really, who's enjoying the uh, view is her, not us. However, the view that we're about to enjoy is that her rumpa dump is completely out of the pool, maybe until about the thigh area. It has a black gistro kind of covering only the lower back area, really. I would imagine the reason for that is so it could give you a more panoramic view of her gluteus slabs. Now, let's head over to the comments. There's this one guy, he says, me too. I'm enjoying the best view. Okay, I get it. He was immediate influenced. Uh, he put down emojis such as hearts, fires, etc. The standard basic ones. There's one that only replied with emojis. He must have lost his mind. These are the kind of comments or the folks that write comments that make me doubt the authenticity of the Internet. <laughs> it's like, who are these people? Would they say these kind of things in real life? Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and close this segment out. You could go ahead and look up uh, Miss Karen Caleb all you want from Argentina. You could read the comments or you could be influenced by many of her butt pictures out there. And I'm going to leave you with this last comment here because this is definitely a doozy. It says, Me fumo hasta los pedos, bebe. <laughs> the translation is, I will smoke even your farts, baby. <laughs> what the hell? It's difficult being more mature than your father. Again, if it's real, you got people with some issues out there. This is what happens when people live in a virtual fantasy world. For all you know, this could be a Photoshopped 90-year-old grandma. And you're commenting on a public site, which is Instagram, that you're ready to smell some farts coming out of that Photoshop butt. God, let me switch gears, man. At least that gave me some content. What the frijoles? New Year's! New Year's 2023. This is awesome. 
we always do resolutions. We always go through that kind of a bullshit ritual of uh, setting some goals and whatnot. Many times unrealistic goals like losing weight like me. How the hell am I going to lose weight? I stopped being disciplined years ago. <laughs> Once I retired out the army. Nobody's going to put me on a fucking scale. <laughs> Here are 10 erotic New Year's resolutions for those bored with sex. And this is off of the Huffington Post. A somewhat credible periodical. And it starts off with number one as decide that you want more sex in your life and commit to creating a year of pleasure and go on a sex safari. Oh, how easy. Commit to creating a year of pleasure. Sure thing. Oh, and while you're at it, go ahead and go on a sex safari as if it's that simple. Now, I've been on many a trip. I have seen many a brochure. I have been to some great places. I've been able to do some really cool things, but I have never been on a sex safari. That's kind of interesting. Now, before I would go on a sex safari, I would think, what would be the game of choice? What am I hunting? What would be the tool that I would utilize to bring down this game? I'm just thinking out loud here. That's all. This might be something I may have to ask on the upcoming St. Valentine's Day special that we do every single year on this podcast. Number two, first do some research. Start with reading some important books about sexuality, such as The Erotic Mind, Mating in Captivity, Come As You Are. Actually, when I read Come As You Are, it wasn't C-U-M, it was C-O-M-E, just like their Nirvana song. Number three, after you've done all your research, put that to work. Go out there, try to see what is out of your bedroom, so to speak, out of your sexual comfort zone. Go on something called a hedonistic cruise, which evidently is a cruise geared up for people who are in the swinger lifestyle. So basically, this is some sexual deviant stuff that uh, is being explored here. Number four, not ready to leave the house, not ready to go on these cruises. Well, guess what? Purchase a massage table for your home. So you could give yourselves sensual massages, <laughs> as Austin Power says. Number five, get some private instruction. Hire a sex educator, you know, like a doctor in sexology. Not that naughtiness where you, you know, rent a gigolo or you rent a lady of the night, give you some of that private instruction. But if that's your thing, I guess that's what you could do. Number six, do something that's erotic, but not on your genitals. <laughs> This is not for immature people, by the way. Take a cooking class and or go on a food and wine tour. Explore how sexy eating can be. I never heard of that shit. Use your fingers and feed each other. Eat off of each other's plates. Be naughty. Wow, that one really got into detail, didn't it? Number seven, explore your prohibitions. Yee, that one's going to require some work. But it says here you can watch a video or read a book about the things that really are kind of taboo towards you. Hmm, I wonder what those could be. Number eight. Wow, here's one that I've done. Spend a day walking through sex and lingerie shops without buying a damn thing. <laughs> I've actually done that. If you've listened to this podcast in previous years during the St. Valentine specials, you'll uh, get some ideas of what you could find in these things. They're very interesting. I didn't spend the entire day, but I spent a good time there. 
Not a bad idea at all. As we wrap this up, number nine says, slow down the adventure. Take it easy. Take some time to explore what's out there. We're always in some kind of rush. We're always nibbling at the edges of our time. Let's take a big chunk of it. Stop the nibbling. <laughs> Forget the clock and enjoy your time as you explore all these options that are available to you out there. Now, number 10 is a summary to this list. It just dares you to be different. Your sexuality, our sexuality, his or her sexuality is uniquely our own. Don't let what turns you on frighten you as long as it is safe, sane, and consensual. Forget date night. Try planning a big trip and creating a space needed around it to do some spontaneous sheka boing boing Try as many things as you can as you head out on your sexual safari. As a matter of fact, I just so happen to have an elephant. I might even lend it out for you. He has a big trunk, <laughs> but don't get any ideas. All right, all right, I was just joking. Jeez, I have a sensitive elephant. Who knew? As I moved on to the next segment, all right? Jesus, that's enough for you. It's the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast, Sound of the Week. Of course it is. The most nostalgic segment on this podcast. The one I miss my buddy Adam the most. It's the one that gives me the most anxiety because Adam is the true master. As a matter of fact, he's the creator of the sound of the week. Sitting down with our special events recording team, that's not easy. They have a lot of good stuff. But what they cannot match is these new songs. These new tunes Adam somehow digs up. Am I that so much out of touch that I can't find new music? I'm going to have to learn a few things. Uh-oh, I just took a look at my recording program, and I have a very, very little thin line. Ooh, I've spoken for how long? For an hour. Ooh, I hope I recorded. If I did it, well, uh, I guess there won't be a podcast. Ooh, let me do a quick test here. Okay. I could hear it. Let me check my recording level. My mic level looks good. Test, test, test one, two. Okay, a little, a little blurb there. Well, at least I know it's recording now. Yep, there's a little higher blurb. As I go here, just bear with me. This month, oh shit, this kind of pisses me off. Oh, anyway. This month, Iggy Pop, we're releasing a new album. It's called Every Loser. Don't know if it's out or not. I'm kind of a little bit off track here trying to figure out what's going on. Here's a little track off of it. I think it's the first track. It's called Frenzy. Hopefully that music level is pretty good for you. I like it. Sounds good. Icky Pop, influential performer, punk father. Oh, the suit is famous, well. Yes. Yep, that's Icky Pop for sure. Check it out if you want. I'm trying to be calm here. I, I, I have this horrible urge to go back 
and listen to some of this damn podcast to see uh, where it went bad. If indeed it actually recorded fairly decent at all. See, this week I had a friend of mine, they contacted me. They asked me about my setup, the podcast, yada, yada. So I gave a quick video tour to send it to them. And I may have touched something or I set something off, whatever the fuck it was. I, I usually check the sound levels and do an equipment check while Adam is here when he gets here. Because if I fiddle faddle with the damn system, be it the mixer and, and all these connections, the microphone, the headphones, everything. Uh, when Adam is here, usually when he gets here is when I do a little equipment check. But hey. Fuck it. You know what? Let's just keep going. Also released uh, January the 6th was Anti-Flag. They put out a new album. Here's a cut from it. It's called The Hazardous. Sounds good. Fast. Heavy guitars. of that new metal feel, Scyther, Blink-182, yeah, sure, I'd give it a shot, check it out, Anti-Flag, also, this week our uh, special events recording team was out there at, at the Capitol at the U2 Honors, where uh, President Joe Biden and a bunch of other Democratic liberals celebrated all the accomplishments that Irish rock group U2 has bestowed upon the world. I haven't seen Judas Priest be honored yet, but that's just my observation. But yeah, the recording team was there for when uh, none other than Sean Penn had a couple of words to share about YouTube. The excitement was in the air. Check it out. There are no artists who have carried on that legacy better nor stamped their own unique mark of genius on the world of music and beyond. And the members of you too. And that's why tonight we're here to celebrate you two. Great musical poets for the ages. Wake up! Once upon a time, a young Larry Mullen Jr. pinned up a flyer at school. Drummer seeks musicians to form band. Could you please hurry up? Thank you very much. It was the beginning of a musically charged chemical reaction, something that would transform the young men from bandmates into brothers and lead them to distill the human experience into songs that would stand the test of time. <laughs> Bono has often said that being famous is nonsense, celebrity is nonsense, but it is currency. And the band has spent its currency to show the usefulness of art in the world. Warship detected. Take precautions. It is so fitting at this time in human history that America tonight bestows its highest creative honor in the creative realm upon these four punks <laughs> to remind America and the world of its best self. There you have it. What a fitting way to end the speech. To be quite honest with you, I didn't watch this whole thing. All I did was peruse around the YouTube and watch a few performances, you know, excerpts of speeches, whatnot. But anyway, I guess what I was looking for was to see if uh, maybe Ted Nugent 
was invited. Maybe Kid Rock. Hey, who knows? Maybe even former President Trump. The Democrats are known for being inclusive. Why couldn't they invite these guys? I would have loved to have seen that. Maybe even ask Trump what his favorite U2 song was. He would have probably said something like, where the streets have his name. <laughs> That's a possibility. It's the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. Sound of the week. Of course it was. Adam, I know you're listening to me, man. Hurry back, please. I'm drowning out here. Good times, bad times. It's time to go Tom, home. Tommy and Adam are to make podcast. Yeah, it's time to get out of here. Finally, bad times, bad times for everybody except for Peter Gabriel fans, because he will release a new song each full moon. What did I miss here? Did Peter Gabriel turn into Wolfman every new moon? What kind of gimmick is this? Let's look into this. Peter Gabriel plans to release a new song from his upcoming album, I.O. Every full moon. I feel a snore coming on like the folks out there at the Kennedy Center. The former Genesis singer released the first song from the album at Midnight Friday, which would have been last night, titled Panopticon. The track features electronics from Brian Eno. I.O. or I slash O will mark Gabriel's first album in more than a decade. You know, I'm joking around, but quite frankly, I like Peter Gabriel. I don't like so much his uh, artistic swinging. That's not my thing. I did like his work with uh, Genesis, and I liked his solo stuff. But, you know, good luck to him and good luck to his fans who like seeing Peter Gabriel. Because I have even better news for the good times. Foo Fighters issued a statement on future without Taylor Hawkins. And this is from Ultimate Classic Rock, and it was published on January the 1st of 2023. I'm going to cut to the chase and read the statement. It says, as we say goodbye to the most difficult and tragic year that our band has ever known, we are reminded of how thankful we are for the people that we love and cherish the most and for the loved ones that are no longer with us. Foo Fighters were formed 27 years ago to represent the healing power of music and a continuation of life. And for the past 27 years, our fans have built a worldwide community, a devoted support system that has helped us all through the darkest times together. A place to share our joy and our pain, our hopes and fears, and to join in a chorus of life together through music. Without Taylor, we never would have become the band that we were. And without Taylor, we know that we're going to be a different band going forward. We also know that you, the fans, meant as much to Taylor as he meant to you. And we know that when we see you again, and we will soon, he'll be there in spirit with all of us every night. That closes the statement. Now, here's something that I'm going to mention briefly. That statement has this one little part on there about the Foo Fighters were formed to represent the healing power of music and the continuation of life. That is a nod to the disbanding of Nirvana and the subsequent creation of that musical venture known as the Foo Fighters, which Adam, me, and many of our Legion of Listeners have been a part of. 
So that's very cool. And I had a feeling it was going to happen in one way or the other. I'm going to be really curious to see who's going to be the replacement drummer for Mr. Taylor Hawkins. I'm going to go ahead and leave this podcast on that positive note because we have reached the very end. Wow. Plus, I got to get going. I'm going to go to some Three Kings Festival thing that my wife was telling me about here in uh, Wichita. Because yesterday was Three Kings. But here in the States, I don't know. They don't celebrate it. Who cares? We will. So that's going to be very cool. Again, Happy New Year. Hope you guys enjoyed this podcast as much as I enjoy doing it. And again, Adam, for the last time of this episode. Please come back, my man. Please. As always, we want to thank our legion of listeners, our fans, and whoever else subjects themselves to this podcast. We really appreciate it. Keep in mind that life is not that serious, nor anything else that we have said on this podcast. Question everything and don't believe anyone. Again, search with the keywords, the Tommy and Adam Hard to name podcast. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcast app, RSS podcast, everywhere else this podcast is on demand and streaming. Activate the notification icon to be notified when we are online. Write a comment or share it with a friend, but mostly with an enemy. I am Tommy Martinez in for both my main man, Adam Tate, and me. Today is January the 7th of 2023, and you are listening to the Tommy and Adam Hard Today podcast. Remember to always play it often, play it loud, but play it. Yeah! The Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast is produced by Dadakoa Promotions. Yeah, which is a candy. Dadakoa Promotions.